Welcome back to our Halo 4 campaign coverage for Podtacular. We are going to be covering Shutdown now, and for Shutdown we have Final Postmortem from Fortnite to Dawn, the website. Not the web series, but the website. So, welcome back to the show. Thank you. What's up, everyone? Not much. Enjoying some Halo 4, hopefully. As always, as you always should be. Yes. Taking some downtime between the, the Waypoint updates and during the Infinity Challenge and all the multiplayer updates uh, to kind of look at the game as a whole. So we're continuing our campaign coverage. Uh, we're doing this alongside two other miniseries, talking about the war games and talking about the Spartan Ops. So we're on our uh, sixth mission, which is shut down. And this is the one where we um, are trying to stop the Didact from escaping Requiem. Uh, of course, you are on Infinity now. Uh, you've pretty much been ordered by Del Rio to, to stand down and that you're going to be uh, leaving Requiem uh, after the last mission. But you have better plans, so you're actually going to stay behind and try to stop the Didact. And uh, just from the start, we see this dialogue between Cortana and Master Chief. And Cortana starts to go into this whole ordeal about how um, she knows factually about some of the stuff that's uh, going on in Requiem. And she picks out the sun in particular. And she's like, I can give you over 40,000 reasons why she knows that sun's real. But then in the end, she's, she says that she would never be able to know if it actually uh, looks real. Like, physically looks real. And then she turns around to Chief and says... Uh, before this is all over, uh, find out which one of us is the machine. Yep. yep. So this plays uh, off the whole diorama between uh, Master Chief and Cortana and, and Chief uh, being human but being more of a machine and, and Cortana being uh, a virtual intelligence but actually being more human with all of her emotions and everything. Yeah, how how did you feel when you first heard that line when you were playing through the game for the first time? How did you feel about it? Out of curiosity. Um, it it made sense. It, it struck a chord, but it wasn't anything uh real shocking. Um, the the way Chief kind of reacted with with just uh looking at his assault rifle, making sure it's all in order, and the whole um he's there to do what he has to do. Uh, kind of really reinforces what kind of relationship that they have, and at that point, you really, I guess, you really start to see how Cortana, um, how human she really is, despite the fact that she's not. Yeah, to me, that line was, in a sense, kind of a perfect example of some of the issues I had with the dialogue in Halo Four. Um, I like the line; I don't necessarily like its placement. Um, it, it felt to me a little heavy handed, like it was meant to speak to the player more than to chief who were supposed to automatically kind of be as the character. So when it, or when we're playing the game. And so to me, when she said that it kind of broke the immersion a little bit, almost like Cortana was not talking to the chief, but was talking directly to the player who was aware of the discussion that people have had over the personality, the two personalities of them. So I don't know. I'm obviously thinking about this one line a lot, but at the same time, I think throwing that in there out of nowhere without them having any previous discussion about it, it did kind of take me back a little bit. Hmm. 
It actually kind of, I think I had a little bit opposite effect because it's, we know Cortana is going rampant at this part. And um, with the, if you, if you read the books, you know that um, some of that simulated emotion is regulated by other programs that uh, AIs have. And with that rampancy, that check kind of can go unbalanced. So it, it really plays into the fact, I think, that there are those uh, kind of underlying emotions in the AI that's built directly from a human mind. And mm-hmm. just kind of, I don't know, it, it seems like it just makes the relationship between Cortana and Chief really just that much more deep in that she's really an integral part of him. And they're almost one the same person at this point. Yeah, that's, that's really how cool. I see it. That's a really good way to think about it because, and, and if you read further into that, Chief's reaction by not even responding to that comment, just kind of giving her a look, it it does really speak to the, the that that's the rampancy in her speaking. Yeah, and Chief's whole un, unreacting to what she said was, uh, it, it just kind of hit it home, I guess, more or less. Because you you know at this point, and especially after the first bit that we saw with Halsey at the beginning of the game, that there are social issues with the Spartans just because it's that's been trained out of them, and <clears throat> Cortana kind of fills that void of of the human side of things. What what we as people would think of, what we would take into consideration that uh, a machine usually would not. So. Their roles are <clears throat> kind of dual purpose on each side because you usually have the AI that's uh, really analytical and trying to figure out the best way to do things and doesn't go against uh, orders that much, but that's what Chief is. And then Cortana in her current state is, is thinking up of all these uh, other things, consequences of, of actions and all that stuff, although she still has some regulations that are kind of guiding her on a certain uh, path of following orders and everything, but she has that human side of things, even though she's really just a machine. So the, the, that diorama, I don't know, it, it really plays to the story very well, in my opinion. I think the way that their personality and their relationship is expressed throughout the whole game is done phenomenally well. This, it's just like, I, I, I just felt like that one line kind of took it one step above a perfect execution of their relationship and like almost, almost broke the fourth wall in having them discuss something that we as the fans frequently discuss. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think the campaign for Halo 4 has, it's definitely has the most mm, portrayal of the relationship. We, we know that there's kind of a symbiotic relationship between the chief and Cortana throughout the rest of the Halo games. And we got we had that established from Halo One, but you really never dug into their actual relationship, kind of until Halo Three, where we saw um, a piece of Cortana come back, and um, she was pretty much in disarray at, at that point. And then Chief went to go rescue her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was kind of the beginning of of us seeing kind of more in depth relationship. But then once we get to Requiem. And she's going rampant, and she really can't control, um, for, for more, for lack of better words, her emotions. That's when you really start to see what part, part Cortana really plays in their relationship. In a way, I mean, I their relationship was definitely, 
I wouldn't say it began to be explored in Halo 3. It was definitely being explored in the novels, even after the first game came out. I think First Strike was, it really touched a lot on their relationship, but not in the way that we're used to thinking about it. Because at that point, he had still received her relatively recently. And I remember it was when she was splitting off fragments of herself into uh, the Covenant ship. And she was starting to act a little crazy then. And he had this kind of internal discussion or he had some thoughts going through his head. Like when we get back to earth, there better not be any issues with her. Otherwise she'll be decommissioned. And he was kind of cold and just kind of completely calculated. Like, I mean, I guess like the machine, but then over time, of course that has changed. And I don't know if it's a difference in the writer's approach to their relationship or something that naturally developed but there's you know it's kind of interesting seeing that difference well and then we have the line at the very end of the game during that last cutscene where lasky comes up to chief and as lasky walks away you see that kind of spark of humanity come back into chief now that he's realizing that she's actually gone yeah and, and that's, just that's when he hangs up the suit and it's like i think that's i think that's kind of when it hits home yeah right at the very end I, I'm really I'm really excited for Halo 5 because it's going to have the most room for Chief to evolve as a character. Like, we've had, I guess, throughout this game, their relationship was evolving, and Chief was kind of coming to terms with that and accepting where he stands in the military versus where he stands with you know, the people he cares about, which is a small number of people, really. But, I mean, like, we saw him disobey an order for the first time in this game, and that... To me, that's the biggest part of this game is showing that he's kind of switching over more to the emotional side or accepting his emotional side a bit more. But now with Cortana gone in Halo 5, there's so much room to explore where he's going to have to go without her, you know, and having yeah. gone through that loss. Well, he, he's he's kind of snapping out of that follow all orders notion and kind of is going along tooting his own horn and following his and following his own beat where he knew what the bigger threat was and that the didact was going to be a big issue. So he decided to go along uh, with it being kind of stepping above just the UNSC and actually doing something for himself. So it's, I, w- I wouldn't say for himself, but or, do- well, doing what he knew was right in spite of, yeah, in spite of what he had been instructed to do, breaking the machine mold and going along with, kind of his gut feeling and and what he knows is right. You said it better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Uh, I'll just, I'll just move right along for you. Um, Yeah. I was going to, yep. When, uh, when Lasky comes down and he's like, I was sent down here with orders to stop you chief. And in case you'd already gone, I ordered a a Pelican outfitted for full combat pursuit. I love that line. Like that Lasky is one of the coolest characters and oh yeah i think in any of the halo games i think he's done really well and not only that but he's one of the more reasonable characters as well like even even while he's saying chief i i couldn't do everything for you i can't turn around the infinity but i got you a pelican with a lot of ammo and uh, everything that you might need based on your history but even throughout that conversation he says uh what does he say um, I hope to God you're wrong about that forerunner. 
And then he pauses and he's like, or whatever he is or whatever that thing is. Yeah. And so it's like, I might not know fully what's going on, but I trust you enough. I can't like fully react without complete information, which I don't have, but here you go. You know, it's, I don't know. He's just so accepting of everything that's on the table, but doesn't turn any of the options down. He wants to help and wants humanity to succeed. And he kind of pushes in both directions with Del Rio and with chief. I think that may part and go back to kind of what we saw in the Ford into Dawn web series. Uh, just cause chief saved his life once and now he's kind of returning the favor. Yeah. In a way, although the stakes are a bit higher, it's, it's no longer his life. It's yeah. Of humanity. Yeah. Is it just me or is the connect between Lasky and Ford into Dawn and Lasky in Halo 4 just not quite there? I mean, I know fictionally that ties together, but there's not at any point during the game where I think this is the Lasky that we saw in Ford into Dawn. This is, I, this is just Lasky for the game. Yeah. It's all, you have to also remember it's Lasky with like over 20 years worth of fighting a war from when we saw him in Forward Unto Dawn. So, right, but there's really no... De- we don't get to see his development, but the fact that there's so much time in between seeing him in Halo 4 and seeing him in Forward Unto Dawn, we know that the change in his character has to happen somewhere in then, and th- there's plenty of room for it. I think I, I think I agree with what you're saying, which is that it would be nice to see him kind of shift towards what we see in Halo 4. I just don't see any kind of, like... Okay, I could see where Lasky did this in the game because it's kind of similar to what he did in, in the Ford and the Dawn series. I don't see any of that. <clears throat> and usually when you do something like that, there's kind of a crossover. Well, not necessarily a crossover, but there's some similarities that you can pick out where you can identify a character, an older character with their younger self. And I just don't see that. I almost feel like the game was, and, and this was probably what happened, they probably finished the whole story and the whole game, at least, you know, in a rough vertical slice or prototype form um before that, doing the web series so so they just went through halo 4 and they were like oh well lasky is the character that we can expand on so we'll we'll make him part of forward unto dawn instead of the other way around instead of knowing that it was all going to come together in the end that's that's what my money's on um in the end i don't think it really matters again because of that kind of buffer zone of having a whole war that he fought in between so, but I, I do right. think it'd be cool to see some of that character development. I was really disappointed when he showed up in Halo 4 that he didn't have any dialogue or indication of his um, allergy to the, what is it? The cryo? Yeah, the drug that stops the ice crystals from forming. Yeah. I've, I, and then and he it's didn't. some have, long science word. Yeah. I, I remembered it for a little while. Something fan, I think. <laughs> All of them in like fans or something, though. I want to say Tetrachero Kaleen, but I'm pretty sure that's from Star Trek. <laughs> anyway, it's not like it's important. A quick Google search would probably find it. Maybe. I don't even think it's a real drug, but. Anyway, no, probably not. I don't think we have uh, ice crystal prevention drugs yet. I don't think we really need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know, maybe the people in the Antarctic and the Arctic need it, but I thought I think we're fine pretty much for the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, 
but I was I was disappointed that he didn't have any signs of that, and he also didn't have Kyler's um, dog tags in the hunter armor shard. I thought that would have been really cool because mm. it shows him with it at the end of Forward of the Dawn, like right before Halo Four, and you know he's looking at the dog tags right before he goes into cryo. But then it's it never. I was really hoping that that would have shown up. Maybe we'll see it in Spartan Ops. Carried over. I would really hope so because, you know. I understand they're working on Halo 5, but you could probably get one artist to put some time aside and make a 3D model of his of the dog tags with the hunter shard on it and just throw that in. I, f- I figured that would be pretty easy to do as far as just making one model. Yeah, I, that doesn't seem that hard. Anyways, let's move on. Um, we're pretty much past the discussion part for the, the opening cutscene. So what you get to do is you get to drive a pelican in this one. Got one more thing, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> when he says, when uh, Lasky says, good luck, chief, and then he stops and he looks at Cortana and he kind of gets that look in his eye. He's like, to both of you. To me, like every time I watch that, I think he's got to be thinking of Kyler right then. Like just because of the look that goes over through his face and the whole idea that he was kind of in the fight with Kyler when she died. And then he knows that Cortana is on her last leg. And she just, just gave that huh. about to give that whole um, line, take a girl for a ride and, you know, cue dramatic music, which was really well done in that part. The delivery and the music were really perfect right there. But I, I just think that's a cool little connect that you can make. It's not explicit, but. Hmm. I didn't really catch on to that. At least that's that's, that's what- interesting. I don't know if that's intended, but that's what I get out of it. I I wouldn't doubt that that it isn't. I wouldn't no. doubt that it is. Sorry. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, can we move on now? <laughs> After you. <laughs> All right. So what you get to do is uh, go fly a pelican. So you actually get to do that in this game too, which is nice. Uh, <clears throat> there are four different weapons that are stocked on the. The Pelican, there's a saw, a railgun, a DMR, and a BR that you can use uh, throughout the rest of the mission because you're actually going to... DMR and the BR? Because I sure haven't. Um, one, and the saw. Well, I the... usually will pick up the saw as my second and, and leave the DMR as my primary. I just, I, I honestly have not used the BR or the DMR like at all in campaign. There's so many other better weapons. Uh... Headshots, of course, you get the DMR and the BR, but I don't know. I just, I guess, just for my play style. I mean, you have three different enemies you can headshot with. You have the grunts, you, well, I guess kind of four. You have the grunts, the jackals. No, sorry, three grunts, jackals, and uh, crawlers. So it's it's a useful weapon. The precision weapons. Um, there are lots of times where you don't have the ammo to really pick up and keep on using the weapons, so there's a lot of times in the campaign you have to go pick up different weapons, but I don't see the point really in, I guess, not using a human precision weapon if you can use one. I guess it's just a matter of finding the other weapons more enjoyable to play with. Like They've just got better audio and visual feel to them, even if they don't function better. I Well... That's probably why I died. No, <laughs> maybe I don't use the bolt shot. Um, I, I mainly use the suppressor. I guess out of all the Promethean weapons, just because there's so many enemies that use a suppressor. 
Mm-hmm. And and you get a lot of ammo for it. I think that weapon has the most plentiful ammo in the whole campaign, probably, just because of all the crawlers. Probably, yeah. If you have Thunderstorm on, because then every single one of them has a suppressor. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I rarely use Scattershot. There are certain situations where I'll use Scattershot. Um, then whenever there's a binary rifle incineration can, I usually pick those up. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just as good as the BR or the DMR. What the light rifle? Yeah, I I can't use it that well. I I I really just can't. The only time I would use a light rifle is if there isn't really any ammo around for a DMR, and then I'll pick up a light rifle just because there's there's sections in the campaign where there's going to be plen- plenty of light rifle ammo, but not anything else. So I'll pick it up then, but. I, for me, I'm just most effective with the DMR. Yeah, and that's that's why they have so many good starter weapons is because everyone's gonna like a different one. So, yep. I, just, I guess when I play, I just kind of like every single time I'll say, okay, I'm gonna use a different set of weapons. Like I'll use only pistols, or I mean, <laughs> good luck with that. It's more difficult in Halo Four, of course, because you don't get as much ammo. But I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, moving along. Yeah. Uh, there's also a jetpack on the side that you can pick up, and then there's also a couple of frags. So that's on both sides of the Pelican. And you hop in, you go out of the Infinity, and then you start making your way towards the Didact. One of the most beautiful play spaces in any Halo game. I honestly didn't care for it too much. Oh, man. I I don't think Halo has ever been better looking than that moment right there when you shoot out of the launch tube and see that whole vista open up. Uh, uh, there were parts of Infinity that were, like, the whole jungle part was the thing that made me go ooh and ah over the game. But, uh, I don't know. Organic levels? Well, and Requiem, I guess. Organic levels can only be done so many times before that it gets kind of redundant, I feel. The, I mean, Infinity was amazing, but at the same time, we've had a pretty interesting organic level with uh, Cortana in Halo 3. And then I played a lot of other games with some cool organic levels. But... I don't know. I guess for me, the the initial part of Requiem where you see that open vista, that was huge for me. And then just just the forest in Infinity was just breathtaking. I like the um, movement through Infinity. The way like you can go up the the roots of the trees and it's got a lot of good vertical movement that kind of loops you around through the play space. Uh huh. I really like that. But I felt like the whole level was kind of redundant. Like, okay. I guess that's it. To each his own, I guess. Yeah. So shut down once you, uh, I guess let's try to move so long. We just spent about 20 minutes on the the first part. So, you know, severely edit this down, right? No. <laughs> that would take a long, long time. You done co-op in the flying the Pelican, like just in general messing around in that area at all? No. Because um, we did that for a co-op night once, uh, and I did it another time before that with uh, Lionheart from HBO. And, and we found out that there's so much fun stuff to do with the Pelicans. If you have... <clears throat> even with just two people, you'll have one person in the cannon or in the side gunner seat, and they can hop out and use the jetpack to like walk around on top of the pelican while you're flying around. Really? 
using the momentum, if you're careful enough and if you're, or if your pilot is careful enough, you can slowly accelerate with the Spartan standing on top of the Pelican and then end up, you know, boosting at full speed. And then if you instantly stop or stop as quickly as you can, the Spartan on top, whoever's on top will just go flying. <laughs> Whatever take you, you can literally cover like half of the map just by doing that. Whoa. We, we came up with all these crazy mini games of like trying to launch a Spartan to the platform that you're supposed to go to from the very beginning when you exit the launch tube. Uh-huh. You can do it. It's really hard. You have to feather the jetpack like crazy. And then we had a full party and we went up above the area with the phantoms and had each person drop down from above directly on top of the phantoms and kind of ride them. And it's one of the coolest, um, honestly, it's one of the coolest Halo experiences I've had, having a jetpack and dropping down through empty space with your enemies flying around beneath you. It's really cool. And as we were doing that, I was thinking, like, wow, it'd be really cool if they kind of worked this into a campaign sequence somewhere where <laughs> die after falling too long and you just have to maneuver through these obstacles yourself instead of in a cutscene. That would be really cool. And it actually would have worked really well for the end of the... Um, for the end of this level where you have to jump onto the liches. Hmm. That would have been awesome to actually have the player do that themselves. Once I found out that you could do that. Eh, I'm not sure how you would execute that though. I mean, it would have to be very It'd be like a slalom run. Yeah, more or less, but just straight dropping. So instead of having chief diving headlong, maybe you put some forerunner, uh, structures in between that you have to dodge and they're moving around and your target is a lich at the bottom or something like that. Uh, maybe I could see, uh, I could see you doing that for maybe 20 or 30 seconds, but don't make, don't make that thing too long. It wouldn't, no, it would have to be short because you'd run out of space first of all, but well, and then attention span. <laughs> huh? That's interesting. Actually, it'd be really cool if you could use thruster packs Instead of a jetpack, you use the thruster pack. Oh, goodness. Maneuver around that way. Goosh, goosh. Yeah, I would have fun with that. Interesting. I'll have to uh, give that a try. Either way, I think Halo needs more vertical campaign sequences like that, because it was really cool. You should try it out sometime. Okay, I think I will. Uh, So, when you're outside, you have... Uh, one of your first two objectives is uh, a tower on the right or the left-hand side, and you can pick which one you want first. Uh, it doesn't matter which one. If you do the one on the right, it's going to be uh, the one where there's the three uh, attenuators that you have to go take out. You I didn't can... pick which one to go to first. Huh? I didn't know you could pick which one to go to first. Yeah. Wow, shows how much I know about Halo. <laughs> Yeah, so, well, whenever you get the two objectives, you can just go whichever one you want. Huh. And then if you go to the one that's on the left, that's the one where it has the the bridge that moves across, and you have to uh, do the old Halo 1 trick and stand in the beam. Yeah, with the gondola? Yes. So it's like the Halo 2 gondola with the Halo 1 beam pulse. And then something completely new. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, the one on the... So the one with the attenuator, when you first go in, uh, you have to kind of fight through a few crawlers. Well, okay, let me back up a second. Around each tower, there's going to be a group of, 
uh, pelican, no, 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 not pelicans, um, phantoms and banshees. You can, it's probably a good idea to take most of them out on your approach, and then you can land when there's only a few left, but you can kind of fly in there just all in and then jump out and then try to run your way up to the door without dying if <laughs> if you want. Kind of difficult to do on legendary though. Yeah. But that Spartan laser is really useful in the Pelican. And I don't think there's actually any Banshees. I haven't seen any, at least. Is that a Spartan laser, or is that a real gun? I'm pretty sure it's a Spartan laser. I thought it was a real gun. It's, you know, it sounds like a real gun, but it's it charges up like a Spartan laser. Well, because when Cortana's doing her checks, it's it. she mentioned something about rails. Um, I think that's the, the turret on top that the second player can use in co-op. No, because she mentioned something about... Uh, auto cannon or auto turret and then like a rail cannon so i think i think that's actually a rail gun not a laser huh i'm not sure a rail gun makes more sense to be honest on the pelican well i don't know if you think about how long we've had the spartan laser technology it wouldn't take at that point we've had the rail gun technology longer than the spartan laser one yeah that's true but i'm saying it, it would make sense to have a spartan laser on a pelican at this point an upscaled version of it but I don't know. I actually okay, don't. maybe. The beam is red. I guess, I guess it does have the same kind of reticle as a Spartan laser. <laughs> maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is. I just always thought it was a real gun. I can listen to that sequence again. <laughs> Alright. Uh, so if you go the one... So back to the attenuator one on the right. You have three different stations you have to go to. And at each one there's going to be a group of enemies that you have to fight through. Uh, to initially get there, and then once you uh, take out all the Prometheans around the attenuator for that part, then you can destroy the little energy orb that's uh, that you need to take out to uh, take down the rest of the tower. After you do that, you're going to have another wave pop up, um, and each one of these waves has at least uh, one knight, I think one watcher that the knight usually spawns out of his back, and then three or four crawlers. So... Uh, hopefully that kind of gives you a heads up. Then you make your way over to a second one, do the same thing again, and then you make your way over to a third one, and you uh, take out the tower. For the... Uh, I think it's the knight that's... like If you're first coming in, the knight that's on the right side of the attenuator, that, that has a scatter shot. So that one you need to kind of uh, pay extra close attention to. And then whenever you're... Uh, I think... After you take out one of the side ones, a watcher will come out and spawn a turret down on the bottom um, below where you first came in. So whenever you go for the other side one, that turret will kind of shoot at you. So you either need to take the watcher out first or take out the turret before you try to take out the second side one, whichever order you do it in. Personally, I find the back one is the easiest one to take out. So whether or not you want to save that for your first tower that you want to take out or your um, last tower is, is up to you, really. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about the, um, the first two didact lines. I don't remember the exact lines as they were said, okay. but I remember. So I, I actually wrote them down for you. <laughs> that works out. Since you mentioned that you were going to probably be focusing on the lore. So the was, first. Yeah, go for it. The first one is the others scattered like embers over sand. And yet the librarian's champion is unmoved. I love that. I love how he refers to him as the librarian's champion. Like, if you really stop and think about that, that's got a kind of a cool 
connotation to it, I guess. So I think he pretty much saw from the very beginning when Chief kind of released him that the librarian placed a marker in him. I think, I think at this point he has a way to pretty much figure that out. How do you mean? Well, so there's, if you've read the, uh, the forerunner trilogy from Greg bear, you know that, um, there's the librarian planted, uh, Goss and, uh, some of the humans. And I'm, I'm wondering since, and just with the didact being the librarian's husband and all that, he can probably pick up on the Goss whenever it comes around. Cause yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew at some point, um, that the librarian still had plans and that, um, that she would be doing something later down the road, even though she wasn't around anymore. You know what I actually think it is because the Gaosh is something that's implanted at a genetic level. So it's, you know, obviously it would get passed down through the generations within the DNA of right. the species itself or the gene line or whatever. But, um, she also mentions that she planned it out so that the Ancilla, the Ancilla technology of humanity would develop along the lines that she guided it to kind of implied that it's creating Cortana and then that she planned it out for chief's armor to develop the way it did. And, and uh, the Spartan augmentation, which again, we didn't, we didn't get much, um, you know, explanation of how the heck that even makes sense. Uh, yeah, that brief time with the librarian was not too in depth. No, and uh, I wish it was. There's, I don't know. That's all the interesting stuff about the universe to me is like everything that happened hundred thousand years ago fascinates me. So how the librarian, this individual, could be so intelligent and so thoughtful to plan stuff out for a hundred thousand years doesn't make sense yet, but. You know, I you know, I want to know how that worked out and what exactly her plan was. Exactly. Yeah, she's she said that she planned it so that basically Chief would occur, I guess. Right, but the timing wasn't exactly right. Mm-hmm. According to her, too. Wait, from which which line do you get that from? Uh, did she say something that along the lines of? There was something that happened that she didn't expect when she was talking with Chief. I don't remember the line specifically. But it was during that conversation with Chief where it seemed like she had it planned for humanity to come up, but something the didact did was something that she didn't quite foresee, and now there's an actual risk of something happening, the didact doing something that should not happen. Okay, so we took a quick break and we looked up the line. Um, actually, post more than looked up the line, <laughs> and I just kind of listened in the background. But uh, what the librarian ends up saying is that the well, why don't you explain it? Because you're probably better at explaining it. Uh, I guess in paraphrasing, um, that the plan she she had a plan to assist humanity along their path to reclaiming the mantle, but the plan went astray, which I guess we were still kind of talking about whether that was with the didact waking up again or the didact trying to compose humanity originally. Well, and you have to think, so back during the events of Halo 3, after you blew up the Ark, 
that slip space jump that you made, um, it took you somewhere else that you weren't intending to go. Um, I, I maybe you know more about this, but I think I heard a theory where a slip space portal like that may, it, like, if it has to escape somewhere, it may escape somewhere else. Well, like if it, the, if it won't become some stable, that kind of jump. The whole issue of how the back section of the forward unto dawn got severed by the portal is still something that I honestly still see it as a huge plot hole in Halo Three, um, and I think Halo Three has many that people just kind of conveniently overlook over and over again. I, I, I've got a lot of issues with Halo Three's plot, but if you look at, at how the portal supposedly worked. If you think about the portal as kind of a bubble existing in space with one half of the bubble at Earth and the other half of the bubble at the Ark, but it's still kind of one contained thing with, you know, some transition time in between for the actual traveling through slip space. But more or less, you know, that's how it would function. And uh-huh. so if Forward Unto Dawn enters on one side, uh, the side of the Ark, where the halo is currently firing and it closes halfway I wish I could draw a diagram, but <laughs> if it closes while the forward unto dawn is only halfway through the portal, well, then the forward or the aft section of forward unto dawn wouldn't be in slip space. It would still be left behind at the arc, in which case Chief would have been blown to bits by the halo effect. So the portal would have literally had to shut down as the forward unto dawn was exiting slip space at Earth. He was that close to being home. And it shut down right then. Because we know it takes... Well, I, I guess with Forerunner portals, it's different. But we, at least we know with human technology, it takes months to travel through slip space depending on the distance. Right. I guess there's no exact estimate of how long it would take. Or at least not yet. As far as I know, Loftus hasn't done that yet. But <laughs> we know the Forerunner ones are much faster. But either way, there would be some travel time in between. Especially I, I going take out a of book. the galaxy. I kind of take a page out of the book of Stargate. Which I haven't seen. I'm ashamed to admit. It's a it's a good TV show. Yeah, I start I watched the movie and I thought this is dumb and I never tried the TV show, so I the gotta TV go back. The TV show is brilliant. I really, really love Stargate. I'm working my way through Star Trek right now. I'm in the next generation and I, I can only handle one really big sci fi show at a time. Yeah. I, st- I started watching Star Trek like um the one with William Shatner, that series a while ago. And I got about, I almost got through the first season and then I just kind of stopped. Yeah, it is a bit of a grind because it's very dated, but. Yeah, I, and, and the effects on it are just so, so cheesy. <laughs> but I love Star Trek because every single episode that you watch is almost like the foundation of a bunch of different science fiction ideas that you can read about or watch yeah. today in different movies. Like, there's, I, mean, I grew up a Trekkie. Yeah, there's like a Star Trek episode that is more or less the flood. Really? Yeah. I probably haven't seen it then because it doesn't ring a bell. I think it's from a third season or something. Okay. I'm not a hardcore Trekkie, but I like the science fiction stuff, so I I like the the philosophy in it. All right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, Stargate's, in my opinion, is really good. Um, There's some people that argue that once it... Once uh, Richard Dean Anderson left, it kind of fell down a little bit. It was still a good show afterwards, but they were just kind of running out of content. Um, and just the personality that Richard Dean Anderson brought to the TV show was kind of unique. 
Um, but the portal, the Stargates, you're gonna. Oh yeah, so uh, there's a couple of. Uh, there's not many instances of this happening, but I believe like whenever a Stargate portal, like if it if it loses uh, power on one end, it will. Um, there's the possibility for it to abort not cleanly, um, at least for, with the Earth Stargate, because the dialing system on Earth is not does not use a DHD, a dial home device. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is the main console that you can actually use to um, dial up the Stargate without having to spin the wheel like they do on Earth, and uh, that DHD actually has a a, a power supply that will actually uh, power an incoming wormhole if the ascending side uh, actually cuts it. It'll keep the portal open long enough to actually receive the rest of um, the package that's coming through the wormhole and then terminate it cleanly. But on Earth, you can't do that because that power supply doesn't exist. Mm. So there's a couple of shows where that actually um, only parts of things come through without the full thing coming through. I think it's yeah. been a while since I actually watched the full se- full series. This is one of the problems with subspace travel in Halo is that we still don't know all that much about how it works. Which, which they, they you know they they pulled that into the plot and made it so that. The characters in the universe also don't know much about how it works, but when you're dealing with Forerunner technology, which you know they had a mastery of slip space, I feel like that there should be a little bit more. There should be more definite. Um, well, do you think they were really expecting a Halo to blow up while one was active? Considering the level of technology that they can manufacture, I mean, a Halo. The Halo is absolutely the most destructive weapon they ever created, but a I don't know, because a portal would be generated by energy, not necessarily matter. So, right? Would the halo effect, you know, do anything to it? I don't know. Yeah, because it's it's energy. It's interfering with whatever is holding that thing stable. It's introducing additional power fluctuations that it's probably not expecting. But then also remember that the halo effect left a lot of forerunner structures intact and destroyed precursor structures. So it, we don't know enough about either. But, but with something that's, that's powered by that much energy, uh, I, I could, I mean, granted, like you're saying, there's really not enough information there for us to really be able to accurately say what can or can't happen. Yeah, I always assume it's shut down just because it kind of ran out of the sustainability time that it had to run with. Well, if it, I mean, then again, if it just shut down, then Chief would just be stuck in slip space. There'd be no way out. Yeah, which would, well, first of all, it would have to shut down at the very end for the forward on Zon to get severed and not leave him. Um, right. At the arc, unless it was torn apart actually in slip space transition. But I don't know anything that would cleanly cut it like that. As far as like structural stress, you know? I think it shut down at the last second while he was still in slip space. And then as the portal shut down, he was still traveling and got spit out somewhere else. So I know we're getting off topic here, guys, but uh, another page that you could take from Stargate is um, there's times where if you introduce a, like a power overload to a Stargate, it will jump to a different Stargate. Mm. The, the, 
the wormhole will appear to still be open on the sending side, but the receiving side will jump. See, I think, I think there's some sort of guiding factor to what led Chief towards Requiem. I, I honestly do not think that it was completely by chance that he just happened to stumble upon the one place in the entire galaxy that the didact was sleeping. I think something had to have guided him there, and I don't know what, and I don't know why. Well, go, going back to the the whole thing that started this, this discussion, could have that could that circumstance be that part of the complex thing that the librarian wasn't expecting librarian. that I thought about that but she wasn't expecting the chief to be there that soon Maybe. or or in that regard and then having rescue come and actually get into well, requiem without what if she had some sort of system put in place that the portal technology would or, or you know this is a bit of a stretch I understand that but say the portal technology can recognize the sort of humans that are going through it, similar to how Guilty Spark scans the autumn in the beginning, like some sort of scan that would reveal the history of humanity, or at least the history of the individual. It would recognize that he has an augmented physicality, uh, power armor, and an ancilla, and say, oh, humanity has reached the point where they've attained the mantle, so time to redirect them and wake this guy up but it was just chief that got scanned and the system falsely assumed that all of humans were at that point, basically at the point that the forerunners were at when they, you know, activated the halos. I, yeah, that's possible. I mean, we could list off a whole slew of possibilities and they could be possible, right? Yeah. Rampant speculation inbound. <laughs> yeah. Dave and Danny are going well, to, already, it's already happened. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, let's, let's move on. Um, the second line that the didact has, and I guess we'll kind of briefly go over these. Um, but the second one he has, uh, if you're, if you're in the right tower, it's, it's like as you're exiting or actually if it's, if you're in either tower, it's after you're, as you're exiting, he says the mantle of responsibility for the galaxy shelters all human, but only the forerunners are its master. Yeah. Which I think is just. Kind of an extension of this whole attitude throughout the whole game. Yeah, the forerunners are the rulers of the galaxy, and yep. as from the bit that we heard from the librarian, humanity, from the librarian's standpoint, is meant to re-inherit the mantle. So, uh, so after you've, uh, if you do the right tower first, you go over to the left tower, and if you want to do the left tower first, this is what you get. You get the, um. Like Postmortem said, you get the gondola ride from Halo 2. Um, there are certain points along the way where you have to stop, get out, activate a switch to to get the gondola to go again, and then uh, get back on and fight through waves of enemies. So your first stop is you're going to be fighting Covenant, and once you uh, get through all the Covenant, you'll be able to get back to an area where you can activate a switch, to unlock the gondola, but then you have Prometheans that spawn. Um, you go again, you get stopped a second time, you do the same thing, except that's all Prometheans that time. And then, uh, once you activate the switch, uh, there's some... Actually, the second time you get stopped, it's just more or less this platform that has to come down so you can get to where you need to go. And you fight through your way through more Prometheans, you get up to the platform, you do the, the Halo 1 move where... It, Cortana basically overloads your shields to disrupt this energy beam, and then you get back on the gondola ride and go out. 
Now, one important thing that might help you in uh, your journey down this corridor is that there are two beam rifles, uh, two beam rifle crates at the very bottom of the gondola that you, you can, or binary rifle, sorry, binary rifles that you can use on the, I would save them for the Promethean enemies because the Covenant enemies are pretty easy to take out with probably your standard loadout. Uh, so use those binary rifles on the, the knights. Uh, the lines for the didact in here start after you uh, interrupt the energy beam that's in the sec in that uh, in that tower, and the lines in here are your actions tread between honor and foolishness. So that one's kind of straightforward, I think, and also kind of hypocritical. Yeah, I think. I mean, how how honorable is it to? Wipe out an entire, entire species. species. <laughs> yes. Uh, so his next line is, You're a fool. Even now your kind tinkers with the composer in the shadow of the third ring. Children and fire who disregard the welfare of the universe. I love that line. That's really well written. It's, it's Very just poetic, poetic enough. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like it. <laughs> Oh, and I guess it's it's starting to rain now. Uh, I'm on the sixth floor, so the roof is directly above me. If you can hear that, I apologize. I can't hear it yet, so. Hope it stays that way. <laughs> so, at at this this part is a little interesting too because we heard from the librarian earlier that we we're supposed to kind of inherit the mantle and kind of take our rifle place as well. I I don't know if it's necessarily rifle, but take our place as kind of caretakers of the, of the universe and the didact here is pretty much saying what you guys are going to what you guys are doing with the mantle is going to end up in you doing things that you don't even know that you can do and are going to have dire consequences in the end yeah which you know half the time i kind of agree with the didact stance and the other half i don't um on this one i i kind of do agree just because that's humanity. how humanity is. <laughs> yeah, and and in the Halo universe especially, we haven't really shown much uh, maturing in the sense of how we use the technology, the destructive technology that we have at our disposal. And so if, if that's how we use all of our technological advancements, how are we going to do when we're supposed to be protecting all the other species in the galaxy? Like, I, don't think, I, I honestly do not think humanity can do it, and I hope that I can be surprised by the end of this storyline. I mean, even if you look at human society now. Oh yeah, especially. It, it's kind of indicative of, of how we act as a, as a people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's generally meant to be how humanity is right at this point in the future, per- perhaps even worse. <laughs> the society is definitely, you know, a lot less democratic. Yeah. And then you have, you just have your higher people that, that want it their way. Yeah. Like Perengoski. Let's introduce a virus into the Sankele's crops. That's a good idea. <laughs> that sounds right. That's, yeah. That's what the mantle wants us to do. Gosh. <laughs> I, I wonder if if and when we have access to the domain and the mantle, there'd just be kind of this wide awakening among humanity. I don't think it would work like that. If anything, we'd like access the domain and all of the personalities and 
consciousness of the past forerunners stored there or whatever beings memories are stored in there would see what we were and like instantly kick us out turn all forerunner technology against us or something crazy yeah but we'd we'd find a way somehow to bang ourselves all the way in and, and get to the core of it yeah of course we're stubborn like that it's gonna end up being cortana it'll all be her, her fault <laughs> that's where she is she's still stuck in there true there yeah there's there's that whole conspiracy thing too if that's true which we've I talked so. about I hope she just stays in there until the end of the next game because it will, it will be interesting to see a whole game without, without Cortana and not not like Halo Three was without Cortana, but I mean literally like no Cortana until the I, very. Uh, I think that she's, I think she has to be in the Halo game. I mean, de- I know, depending I on, depending on like what form she's in, I mean that may be different. I would say like keep it to the very end of the game, like maybe even after the credits or the legendary ending, but. I just think from a design standpoint, from a writing standpoint, it would push everyone at 343 Industries to do something that definitely had not been done before. Like, they would have to get really creative with how to kind of fill that gap. Oh, yeah. And yet also make it intriguing and engaging for the player. It's really, It would be really risky, and honestly... It would be very, very risky. The easy route is to just bring her back and fill that hole that everyone's used to and comfortable with, but I don't, I don't like it when game companies do that. I want to see... People step outside their comfort zone and take. Well, a they do have to make money. Role. Yes, but at this <laughs> point, do, does anyone really think the next Halo game isn't going to make more money than Halo Four? Probably I, not, given the rate at which it's been increasing. Halo Five is going to be a hit no matter what. So why not take a risk? Why not? Three Four Three Industries has already kind of solidified their reputation. I say this is the time to do it. You have a point. I, I could I I could side with that. So I hope they do. I know they probably they've got everything planned out already, but my fingers mm. are crossed. All right. Uh, moving along, after you take out the two towers, you go over to your third tower. And uh, interesting note here: um, you, there's actually a way to bypass those first two towers just completely. If you fly over to where the third tower is, which is actually um, if you head straight towards the Didax Orb and veer off to the right, that first tower on the right, you can actually get behind the door that would actually kind of um, shudder away when you approach it after uh, taking out the first two towers. You can get behind the door and actually jump up through a crack and go into that third tower and bypass those two towers completely. <laughs> Does it still trigger all the checkpoints and everything? So, yeah. So, once you get there, it basically bypasses all the rest of the checkpoints. And you get a oh. checkpoint there um, at the with, that you would normally get when you go into the tower. So, everything... That's interesting. After, everything from that point onward would be the same. You just skip over everything else before then. And... There's still so much I don't know about Halo 4. It's kind of... Well, well that, that's for speedrunning. The, the, the other thing about that, too, is you don't get any of the dialogue. So, you, you miss the whole storyline uh, if, yeah. if you do that shortcut. Like all the, all the additional Cortana lines and Didact lines, you wouldn't get either, if you did that shortcut. So there'd be no point for me doing it. <laughs> Probably not for you. No. <laughs> Every time I run through the campaign, though, and and think about all the exploits and glitches that are currently being found, I just can't stop about thinking about that comment that one of the developers said, like that they were surprised that some of the Easter eggs, like intentional Easter eggs, hadn't been found yet. 
And I'm just uh-huh. wondering, like, how many of them are just hiding in plain sight? Hmm. Probably. I mean, they've said that there's even Easter eggs in Halo 3 that people haven't found yet. <laughs> yeah, of course. Probably in every Halo game. Which is like, how have they not? Be- how has it not been found yet? It's been out for more than five years. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't think we quite touched on this that much, but all these lines that the didact are saying are only being heard by Chief. They're not being heard by Cortana at all, which kind of begs the question: How is exactly is Chief hearing these things? Yeah, because you would think if it was in his head. She's also in his head, so she would hear that. If it's coming through the suit, she's also technically in the suit. So, yeah. It's it's almost like... And he's... I mean, he even comes out and says, uh, the last line I just read, even now you're kind tinkers with the composer in the shadow of the third ring. So he's talking about real-time events, so it's not something that was like pre-recorded in his uh, goss. Yeah. Or however you say that word. Uh, there's so many different ways that people say it. I say Gayash just because that's how um, Tim Dadabo pronounced it for the terminals, I think. And maybe in the Primordium audiobook, but I don't remember. I just huh, say Gayash. Okay. But um, the. Uh, well, I just lost my train of thought really badly. Uh, talking about how Chief hears Didact. Yeah, what was I going to say about Damn. Uh, I mentioned something that it has it can't be his goss because that means it would have had to be pre-recorded. But it's actually he's actually talking about lifetime yeah, events. Yeah, because if it if it were a gayosh, it would still be limited to everything that Chief is seeing, and Chief at that point didn't even know that the third ring had been found by humanity or that <laughs> Ivanov Station had been built and was there. So it's not or even something... would know what the composer was. Yeah, so it's not something that could have come from a hundred thousand years ago because obviously humanity wasn't at the third ring yet. And then it couldn't be a gay because chief didn't know that. So the, yeah, that, that line confirms it like outright. Yeah. Don't, don't exactly know. Well, unless part of his chaos was that the librarian knew where the composer was going to be. And at some point, it would be revealed to him. <laughs> but I mean, that's they, that's stretching it a lot. That's though. a real stretch because um, they say that Infinity moved the composer. I think from one location. I guess they just moved it from zero three to Ivanov. But either way, yeah. Because when they get, and we'll talk about this in I guess the the next podcast when we talk about the mission. But I guess since we're already on the lore track, um, when the didact does his initial sweeps. They already, uh, doesn't she say that the didact doesn't know where the it's, composer yeah. is? So it's like, it's, he doesn't know if it's not on the ring or not. Well, and he, then I guess after a few scans, he figures out it's not there and it's probably, probably yeah. on one of the asteroids. Yep. Yeah. It would be cool to actually see. Would he even be able to scan the whole ring in that short amount of time? I guess if he's hooked up to its systems, but because you don't ever actually see him kind of exploring the ring and seeing if it's there first. No, you don't. He kind of just goes straight to the station. Or oh, he does. It, it appears that way. I like the dialogue says that he doesn't know where it is, but it never says like he's looking for it on the ring. Or I guess that's true. Found it on the ring. It'd be cool to kind of see him scanning the ring as well, just for a little bit more story detail. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. So, 
as you're making your way out of the second tower, before you get to the third tower, once you get back in your pelican, there's another line that the didact says, and he says, Do you truly think these theatrics can prevent my departure? Embrace your sad fate and retain your nobility. I am already beyond you. That's kind of uh, arrogant. Yeah. Of course, what isn't that he says in this game? Retain your nobility. But then wasn't he... Earlier, he said that Chief was running around foolishly. Yeah, borderline honor and foolishness. Yeah, what nobility is he referring to? Because as far as we know, he doesn't think that humanity has any. I guess maybe that's kind of... Well, I think think in the back of his head, he respects humanity for who they are, I guess. Yeah, it says that in the Forerunner trilogy, but then he doesn't act that way in Halo 4. So there's the whole theory around... Which didact this actually is. And we still don't know. If it's the Born Stellar didact or the Ur didact. Yeah. And I think the theory for it's the Ur didact that has this big qualm with humanity, and then the Born Stellar didact is more protective of humanity. But they they also said that, you know, by the end of Cryptum, Born Stellar had more or less become the old didact. Right, but there's still parts of, I think there's still, I mean, after after he becomes that and after they part ways, I think there's still, they kind of develop a little bit differently. Yeah, I suppose. Wasn't Because he would have only gotten stuff up to that point of the didact. He wouldn't have gotten anything after that conversion. Yeah, of course. So maybe there's something else that, a, a separation there that we haven't seen yet, which hopefully will show up in Salentium. Because I, I want to say the Born Stellar one would be the sympathetic one because he... Yeah, you would hope so. Because of the journey that he had with Trakras and... Yeah. The other guy I'm blanking on. Sort of Riser. R. Riser. Yeah. So I'm thinking his his journey with those two, he would he would be the sympathetic one. And then the Ur-Didact, which is the older Didact, would be the one that's like... You, you composed also, all humans. You also have to think about it. Wasn't... Didn't they say that Born Stellar was only like 20 years old? I think there's one line in Cryptum that... Yeah, he was really him, young. Yeah, that puts him at that age. And as far as Forerunners go, 20 is really young. Um, if you like, if you were to absorb another person's experiences, and they had 10,000 years of experiences or more, and you just had 20, like, which one do you think would be the more dominant? The older one. Yeah, so... And it essentially became that. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think... I think Born Stellar is going to... I mean, it depends on which route uh, Greg Bear goes and 343 Industries goes, but if you think about it logically, Born Stellar is more or less just gone. 20 years versus more than 10,000 years. It kind of Well, we do see out. parts in the book where there are pieces that remain. He's not completely gone, but he's he's very much pushed to the side. Yeah. But there are, there are still memories that he... Well, we don't see these really pop up well uh, do we see in primordium i mean i, I know uh the born stellar die that comes to rescue chakras in the end but he never really acts as born stellar he's always the didact and i think chakras kind of had this inter- internal dialogue about that like accepting that he was no longer born stellar yeah 
I can't remember if there was anything specific that it was talking about the born stellar didact thinking or just thinking of of just coming to rescue him specifically because he know he remembers who he was. Cause I, I think, think it, I think the Chakras memory was more based on his appearance, not necessarily his actions per se. Um, I remember him saying that he wasn't acting like Born Stellar; that he could still detect a thread of the original Born Stellar, but that he was now more or less just the didact. Yeah, but it's still that thread that kind of keeps him. That yeah. that still makes a distinction. I think it's that thread that yeah, it's it's pretty much not there if you don't know it's there, but I think there's still part of that Born Stellar that's going to stay there. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I hope so, because we need something to differentiate the two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the last line from the didact um, is, you, re- you will relent, human, or you will perish. All in life is choice, and your time to choose has come, or your day to choose has come. Not like Chief hasn't had to choose before now. Well, so, in in talking and in, in throughout the rest of the show, and the discussion we had at the very beginning, she, it, Chief isn't typ- a typical human in the fact that he weighs emotions into his decisions. He's he's already made up his mind on what he's going to do, and he's going to do it without second thought. Where if it were you or me, at that point you'd be like, okay, what am I really doing? Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's probably what Cortana would have probably had some rampant part of her thinking that same thing. It's like, okay, what what are we really doing here? What What is going to be the consequences of our actions if we go through with this? Hmm. So just a side note. Uh, so after those lines, once you do get to the third tower, uh, you will uh, go in and there's going to be a bunch of different platforms shifting and uh, there's only a few that go down and you have to f- fight your way through some covenant... There is a terminal on here. There, the terminal is located on the second to last little uh, circular platform before you go towards the hunters. Um, instead of going in that hunter direction, you want to go to your left. And behind the stack in the middle there, that's where you're going to find your sixth terminal. Is that where six is? I don't actually know the number. Because I, I don't uh, watch the terminals. Sixth terminal. Like- yeah, so I that's going to be just your... watching them online. <laughs> All right, so that's going to be your your sixth terminal if you've been doing them in order in order. Um, because there's there's one on composer, but there's not one on midnight. Or is there one on midnight? No, I think there's one on every every level. Is it one on everyone except the first? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's actually going to be your fifth no, one. No, no, sorry. The first the first one was in Forerunner, wasn't it? No, it was. It, there was one in Requiem. Where was that one located? I'm trying to remember. Near the very end. Under that, um, under the bridge up to the elevator. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. It'll be your fifth terminal. And then once you get to the hunters, there's an achievement you can get. And the achievement is called Explore the Floor. And what you have to do for this one is have one of the hunters either kill the other hunter, I think, or have them fall like have them fall off the edge um, trying to charge you so they die from falling off. Actually, I think the, the hunter killing the other one is actually not right. I think you have to trick them into jumping off. 
yeah the side and then it's worth 20 gamer score so that's kind that of a one, fun achievement that one was one of the more difficult campaign achievements for me really it it just took a long time to get to tease them off the edge i guess i was doing it on co-op so it was a little easier if i died i'd just respawn and no one else was touching him so well like i would have a jetpack i would have one charging me but they would stop right before they got to the edge yeah, they don't lunge very far forward. You have to like already have them pretty much on the edge before you dodge to the side as they're coming yeah. at you. You have to they have to be doing that running running lunge thing or else it won't work. So I I found that one to be one of the more difficult ones. Uh and then after that you go up to the top of the tower and you plug in Cortana and she in She's going to try to rearrange all of the um, the towers that are around her, kind of providing defense, and try to entrap the um, the didact before he escapes. And instead of that happening, she kind of breaks down, and then all the towers that she has in control of just decide to uh, kind of fall apart. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about her dialogue here either. Well, more, n- not just the dialogue, but... What I find really impressive about this sequence is it shows the absolute level of power that Cortana has. And if you think about what she would actually do with that in a full rampant state, if she were in systems back on Earth or even in any Forerunner system in general, like how how destructive could that be if we can see her using these massive towers in such a way, like literally as just brute force instruments? Do you think, just pure speculation here, do you think that that master kill switch that Halsey knows about every smart AI that's ever built, do you think Cortana would be able to bypass that in her rampant state? I would like to think that she's unique enough to know how to bypass that, but I don't know if that's a realistic way of looking at it. I think from a character standpoint, it's better to have the characters you're familiar with be a little bit more important. I guess, but all right. Just at the same for time, thought. At the same time, she is still an AI and still probably has all those that base code. Place, so yeah. Let's see how well Halsey made her base baseline code. Yeah. Okay. There's all this talk of her being so unique in the game, and there's not actually much exploration of that in any of the expanded fiction, except a little bit in Halsey's journal. Well, and the and the kind of relationship that she has with Chief. Yeah, of course the and the whole the, thing. the emotional side of, of Cortana. Yeah, but from a from a physical, um, I guess, technological standpoint, they've been they have all this talk about Cortana being the most advanced AI, which is which wasn't brought up until Halsey's journal and then Halo Four. So, still a bit to explore there. All right. And then after she kind of fails, uh, Chief decides to do something very probably brave and stupid at the same time and boards a lish that is going to be jumping alongside the didact as he leaves Requiem and goes towards Installation 03. And once they get out of Requiem, uh, Chief pretty much buckles in under kind of, I guess, one of the lish's fins. As they go into slip space because he doesn't have time to really get inside and take out the covenant that are in there, so he pretty much just uh, buckles down on the the external hull of this lish before the shields go up, 
and then they jump to uh, Halo Installation 03, and that's the end of Shutdown. Yeah. Then, so. then cue Star Wars music <laughs> for the beginning of the next cutscene. So uh, this was uh, this was a pretty interesting level just in terms of seeing how the didact feels about the situation, kind of seeing what his motivations are, and then getting a deeper understanding of uh, Cortana's relationship with with Chief and her rampancy. So there's, in terms of, like, gameplay and actual, I guess, military things that are going on in this uh, specific mission, there's not too much there. It's This is more of a, I think, a story development mission than it is an actual um things are actually developing on a, on a military perspective yeah it definitely has as a you lot can, of as you can tell by our points. as you can tell by our conversations for this entire entire show <laughs> so um sorry again guys for the the long long show i know you guys are probably uh well, some of you are probably really enjoying it, and some of you are probably dreading it. It's like, just give me tips on how to get through. Um, so, uh, we're, I think from some of the past ones, you've seen some of the variety of how some of these shows are going to be. And this one just happened to be very, very story-focused. So, um, apologies to those who were, who were looking for a short show that actually just focused on strategy and gameplay. But hopefully you learned a thing or two. Um, about the story if you didn't know before. So I hope this is uh, beneficial to everybody. And if not, well, um, hopefully our next one won't be as bad. <laughs> bad? Come on. Or good. I, I... <laughs> So, all right. Thank you guys for listening. I want to thank uh, Final Postmortem for coming on the show and yeah. uh, taking the time out to have these wonderful discussions. Uh, remember, you can... Uh, you want to plug your site real quick? Yeah. Uh, Forward Unstown, www.forwardunstown.com. Most of you probably know about us, but if not, we do a lot of great fiction analysis, write articles, do our own uh, fiction podcast. So if you like what you heard here, there's definitely more to find over there. And uh, we're also working on writing a book about the past 10 years of the Halo community, which you can find about at communityevolve.com. So it's been a pleasure being here. Looking forward to the next time I'm on. <laughs> All right. I'm sure we do too. So thank you guys for listening, and we will see you in the next show for Composer. Composer.